0: He used to cook with us in the kitchen, and he was always aware of everyone else's activities in addition to his own cooking. He knew exactly how things should be. He washed everything and made sure everyone did everything correctly. He was a teacher. We used to make chapatis by hand, but then one day he asked me to get him a rolling pin. I brought my rolling pin and he appropriated it. He put in on rolling chapatis and supervised them very carefully. I made a chutney for him at home. He always accepted our gifts graciously, although I don't think he ever ate them. Perhaps he was worried we might put in something that wasn't allowed in his diet. He used to take things from me and put them in the cupboard. I don't know what he finally did with them, but I am sure he didn't throw them away. I never saw him eat anything that I had prepared, although he accepted everything. Prabhupada had his evening meetings on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, just as he had, uptown. The loft was out of the way for most of his acquaintances, and it was, on the bowery. A cluster of sleeping derelicts regularly blocked the street-level entrance, and visitors would find as many as half a dozen bums to step over before climbing the four flights of stairs. But it was something new. You could go, and sit with a group of pit people and watch the Swami Lee Kirtan. The room was dimly lit and Prabhupada would burn incense. Many casual visitors came and went. One of them, Gunther, had vivid impressions. Gunther. He walked right off the bowery into a room filled with incense. It was quiet. Everyone was talking in hushed tones, not really talking at all.
1: Swamiji was sitting in the front of the room and did meditation.
0: There was a tremendous feeling of peace which I had never had before. I happened to have studied for two years to become a minister and was into meditation, study, and prayer. But this was my first time to do anything uh, Eastern or Hindu. There were lots of pillows around and mats on the floor for people to sit on. I don't think there were any pictures or statues. It was just Swamiji, incense, and mats, and obviously the respect of the people in the room for it. Before we went up, Carl was laughing and saying how Swami wanted everyone to use the hand cymbals just directly. <coughs> I had never played the symbols before, but when it began, I just tried to follow Swamiji who was doing it in a certain way. Things were building up. The sound was building up, but then someone was doing it wrong. And Swamiji was very, very... Uh, and Swamiji, just very verily, very, very calmly, shook a finger at someone, and they looked, and then everything stopped. He instructed this person from a distance, and this fellow got the right idea, and they started up again. After just a few minutes, the sound of the cymbals and the incense, we weren't in the bowery any longer. We started chanting Hare Krishna. That was my first experience in chanting. I'd never chanted before. There's nothing in Protestant religion that comes even close to that they be Catholic, with their Hail Marys, but it's not quite the same thing. It was just relaxing and very interesting to be able to chant, and I found Swamiji very fascinating. The loft was more open than Prabhupada's previous place of town, so there was less privacy. And here some of the visitors were skeptical, and even challenging, but everyone found him confident and joyful. He seemed to have a far-reaching plans, and he had dedication. He knew what he wanted to do and was, and was single-handedly carrying it out. It is not one man's job, he said. But he went on doing all he could, depending on Krishna for the result. David was beginning to help, and more people were coming to visit him. Almost all of Prabhupada's bowery friends were musicians or friends of musicians. They were into music. Music, drugs, women, and spiritual meditation. Because Prabhupāda's presentation of the Hare krishna mantra was both musical and meditative, they were automatically interested. Prabhupāda stressed that all the Vedic mantras or hymns were sung. <coughs> in fact, the words Bhagavad-gītā meant the song of God. But the words of the Vedic hymns were incarnations of God in the form of transcendental sound. The musical accompaniment of hand cymbal, drum and harmonium was just that, an accompaniment and had no spiritual purpose independent of the chanting of the name of God. Prabhupada allowed any instrument to be used, as long as it did not detract from the chanting. Carol. <clears throat> it was very interracial music. It was a very interracial music-oriented scene. There were a few professional musicians and a lot of people who enjoyed playing or just listening. Some people were fainting, uh, in some of the laws, and that's basically what was going on. We had memorable kirtans. One time there was a beautiful ceremony. Some of us went over early to prepare for it. There must have been a hundred people who came that day. For the Bowery crowd, sound was spirit, and spirit was sound, in a merging of music and meditation. But for Prabhupada, music without the name of God wasn't meditation. It was sense gratification or at most, a kind of stylized in personal meditation. But he was glad to see the musicians coming to play along in uh, his kirtan to hear him and to chant responsibly. Some, having stayed up all night playing somewhere on their instruments, would come by in the morning and sing with the Swami. He did not dissuade them from their focus on sound. Rather, he gave them sound. In the Vedas, Sound is said to be the first element of material creation. The source of sound is God, and God is eternally a person. Prabhupada's emphasis was on getting people to chant God's personal transcendental name. Whether they took it as jazz, folk music, rock, or Indian meditation made no difference, as long as they began to chant our addition. Carol. Whenever he had the chanting, the people were... (coughs) fairly in awe of the Swami. On the bowery a kind of transcendence came out of the ringing of the cymbals. He used the harmonium and many people played hand cymbals. Sometimes he played the drum. In the very beginning he stressed the importance of sound and the realization of Godhead through sound. That was, I suppose, the attraction that these musicians found in him, the emphasis on sound as a means of attaining transcendence and the Godhead. But he wanted a serious thing. He was interested in discipleship. <throat> <clears throat> Reminded of an incident that his sentence for Prabhupada music without the name of God wasn't meditation but was sense education like most kind of stylized and personal meditation. So, Hare told me that once he was on an airplane with the Prabhupada, these uh, Air India 747s used to have pictures of Krishna on the wall. It looked like wallpaper, and there was a picture of Krishna sitting in a tree with the garments of the gopis, um, and there was another picture. Right? There were two different, but they it over and over again. That's at the inside of the uh, the, uh, ear, the airline used to look like they So on one particular day this is the story that I told me he was sitting with Prabhupada on, that, on one of those airplanes and the music was also kind of Indian and some Ravi Shankar music was we playing and the story he told me went like this and he was kind of nodding his head the music to the beat and Prabhupada noticed him he turned to me and said that's sense for <laughs> <laughs> and uh and have down. यशारा या शुद्धत्वत्या simply by hearing (laughs) (laughs) also Also. (inaudible) bhaktiya and devotion devotion. (inaudible) samri jimane being cleansed vidaye Vidaye. in the heart heart. avadhyaya Avadhyaya. meditation Meditation. jnana by knowledge by yagya detachment valena by the strength of De-ha. De-ha. The pacified. Must go to. Go to. Tat. Tat. That. Te. Your. Angri. Saroja Lotus Sanctuary. <laughs> Translation by Shiva <Shun-Folfei. laughs> <laughs> Simply by hearing about your lotus feet with eagerness and devotion and by meditating upon them within the heart. One at once becomes enlightened with knowledge, and on the strength of detachment one becomes pacified. We must therefore take shelter in the sanctuary of the lowest feet. Shall the miracles of meditating on the lowest feet of the Lord with eagerness and devotion are so great that no other process can compare to it. The minds of materialistic persons are so disturbed that it is almost impossible for them to search after the supreme by personal, regulated endeavors. But even such materialistic men, with a little eagerness for hearing about the transcendental name, fame, qualities, etc., can surpass all other methods of attaining knowledge and detachment. The conditioned soul is attached to the bodily conception of the self, and therefore is inert. ignorance. culture of self-knowledge can bring about detachment from material affections And without such detachment, there is no meaning to knowledge. The most stubborn attachment for material enjoyment is sex life. One who is attracted to sex life is to be understood as devoid of knowledge. Knowledge must be followed by detachment. That is the way of self-realization. These two essentials for self-realization, knowledge and detachment, become manifest very quickly if one performs devotional service to the lowest feet of the Lord. The word dhira is very significant in this connection. A person who is not disturbed, even in the presence of cause of disturbance, is called Dira. Sri Jamunacharya says, Since my heart has been overwhelmed by the devotional service of Lord Krishna, I cannot even think of sex life, and the thoughts of sex come upon me, I at once feel disgust. A devotee of the Lord becomes an elevated dhira by the simple process of meditating in eagerness on the lotus feet of the Devotional service entails being initiated by a bona fide spiritual master and following his instruction in regard to hearing about the Lord. Such a bona fide spiritual master is accepted by regularly hearing from him about the Lord. The improvement in knowledge and detachment can be perceived by devotees as an actual experience. Lord Sri Chaitanya Mahāprabhu strongly recommended this process of hearing from a bona fide devotee, and by following this process one can achieve the highest result, conquering all other methods. <laughs> vidaye <laughs> vidāyā simply by hearing about your lotus feet with eagerness and devotion simply by hearing about your lotus feet with eagerness and devotion and by meditating upon them within the heart one at once becomes enlightened with knowledge and on the strength of detachment one becomes pacified. We must therefore take shelter at the sanctuary. We must therefore take shelter at the sanctuary. Let us speak. So, um, are you here the first time today? Um, I should mention that in the English language, it was custom, for the, for the report to speak about humanity in terms of man, and probably adhere to this convention. But actually, when he says his or or man. Is referring to a human, so it doesn't exclude the female. I can make that clear. Um. forms of knowledge and what we call knowledge if it's devoid So, there are many who are first in various fields of knowledge and we have heard about the spontaneous barn system that exists, barn meaning the division of society into four different visions, the intellectuals, the administrators, the uh, money people, the landholders, the capitalists, I might say, and the uh, agricultural or farmers in today's world we can experience these divisions, but sometimes they're known as spontaneous divisions. Uh, they they're not really designated as such. We don't have elections, we don't have workers, we don't have administrators, we don't have capital. Some of you do, but we don't see that our society is divided into into four different divisions like that. But it does exist, so it's therefore is sometimes known as a spontaneous system division not, not really there so the, the Yanis or the learned the, the professors the so-called experts in various fields are generally devoid of the principle of detachment um, so intellect can be measured in many different ways it can be measured by how expert people are in IQ how expert people are in in music, and I've read that some people who have very low IQs can tell you what the day of the year was on May 3rd, 1453, instantaneously. So there are different types of intelligence. And the type of intelligence being described here is the type that means that one understands that there's another dimension to life, that I can become detached from material energy. But everything that I hold near and dear to me, all the different types of affection that I experience, are things that I have to detach myself from, ultimately. Because otherwise, any amount of knowledge is not really true knowledge. It's just knowing things, knowing facts, numbers. Um, so the Bhagavatam is a little strict in this regard, right? Knowledge is, is devoid of purpose or devoid of meaning, unless there is detachment from material nature. So real knowledge means to understand that dimension of life that I have to become, I have to free myself from these different types of affections. That's real knowledge. So uh, Prabhupada talks about the the miracles of meditating on a lot of people. Now usually a miracle is something that people don't understand. That's what we mean by miracle. Some friends of mine told me, they're practicing medicine now, that throughout their studies in biology and in, in medicine in, in these different fields of, of learning, they came across this phrase, the miracle of evolution over and over again. So that's the standard wisdom of biology and medicine. That something called evolution existed and it in positive. And that's the basis upon which the whole medical establishment has grown up. And become part of our life, um, so that's that's considered a miracle, and it is a miracle in the sense that nobody actually knows how it really occurs, and, but it is it, therefore it's a miracle. So, probably uses this word miracle to talk about the lotus feet of the Lord. How can feet give knowledge? Doesn't make any sense. Feet are just part of the anatomy, but lotus feet, or the feet of Krishna, are in this other dimension, that, the dimension which we detach ourselves from, material feet to be attached to spiritual feet. And they, they get knowledge. Um, very difficult to understand, but also very interesting. Now, um, one devotee, I want to read an article to you, I submitted something for Dr. <laughs> and interestingly enough, it's called Patasevanam and it talks about lotus feet. And I thought it was kind of well written, so it's real will I'd like to read it to you. Uh, not very long. This is, this is what was written. How many fairy tales feature a beautiful princess, cruelly enslaved and neglected, who nonetheless scrubs her tender fingers raw with sweet tempered compliance, who is never angered by her harsh situation, never envious of the wicked stepmothers or stepsisters or wizards who have stolen her fortune, who is too beggar. Animals, dwarfs, and princes in strange dust, Who is kind to animals, dwarfs, and princes in strange disguises? Eventually, her kindness is wrought upon just the right person to rescue her from her drudgery, and she goes off to live the rest of her life in splendor. Now, fairy tales are just stories, but they are stories created and perpetuated by some deep longing of the human psyche. What is so appealing about this ephemeral princess, uh, that tales? From every culture, um, subject her to harsh treatment and reward her with magical salvation. Modern fantasy continually replays this theme. Also, the unassuming nice guy wins the girl. The bedraggled team learns to cooperate and wins the championship. The meek inherit the earth. Again and again, virtuous service is rewarded, rewarded with riches, fame, and romance. How many of us must secretly believe we are meant for better things than the toil of our everyday lives? Service defines our life's experiences. We are servants of many masters. Family members, employers, and creditors all suck up our time and money. Physical needs constantly enslave us, while mental cravings drive us like insatiable tyrants. We are the servants of clocks and calendars, of public approval and trends, of traffic flow and weather changes. Just think through your daily activities, and you will see how much of it seems beyond your control. No wonder we are enchanted by the reward of noble service. The fourth process of devotional service is pada savanam. Pada is a Sanskrit word that means feet, while savanam means service to. Thus, pada savanam refers to service rendered to the lowest feet of the Lord. With this process of serving the Lord, we encounter a very personal aspect of his being, his feet, and while the ordinary conception of feet is not altogether pleasing, conjuring sights and smells that are left uncontemplated. Uh, the feet of the Supreme Lord are so sweet, sweetly beautiful that simply thinking of them brings devotees to tears of love and longing. The mighty demigods, controllers of the sun, wind, water, and all aspects of the material world, were delighted when Lord Krishna wandered the forest of Vrindavan, leaving his footprints in the, in the dust. And Krishna's dear friends, the gopi cowherd fir- of girls, would press this dust against their heads and hearts, lost in ecstatic trance. The Lord's feet are described in detail in Vedic scriptures. Upon his soft, reddish-colored soles are the marks of the lotus, conch-shell, club, disc, flag, thunderbolt, fish, and a rod for controlling elephants. To worship someone's feet, is to accept the humblest of approaches. And yet the Lord makes this approach attractive for his exquisitely beautiful feet. Feeling an attraction for these transcendental feet automatically diminishes an attraction to temporal pleasures offered by, the, by this world. And thus it is a great spiritual blessing to worship the lotus feet of the Lord. As Brahma, a powerful demigod, prays, for one who has accepted the boat of the lotus feet of the Lord, who is the shelter of the cosmic manifestation, and is famous as Murari, the enemy of the demon Murah, the ocean of the material world, is like the water contained in a cast hook train. His goal is Parampadam, or Vaikunta, the place where there are no material miseries, not the place where there is danger and Srila Rupa Boswani offers the example. Prabhupada said that was a very um, poetic verse because of the way it, it sounds. Srila Rupa Goswami offers the example of Lakshmi, the goddess of fortune, as one who has become perfect through the process of Padasaiva. Sri Lakshmi Lakshmi continually massages the lotus feet of the Supreme Lord. This is remarkable, as noted in the Shreem of Bhagavatam, the goddess of fortune, although by nature very restless and moving, could not quit the lotus feet. Bhagavatam 1.133 Most of us have some experience with this restless nature of Lakshmi. She manifests herself as wealth and good fortune, elements of material life that are painfully elusive and temporary no mortal may control watching, although many, many waste their lives trying. Since the goddess of fortune is the devoted servant of the Lord, she will not bestow her bounty without his blessing. This leads to the great misunderstanding that permeates religious beliefs throughout the world. Worship God, and he will answer your prayers. Temples, churches, and mosques filled with uh, ardent practitioners bearing hidden agendas. Sometimes the plan is simple. I will go to church every week, Drop some money in the collection plate and be good. Prosperity will follow. Sometimes the situation is more poignant. A mother prays for money to pay for a child's operation. An unemployed man prays for a job. And while it is certainly the truth that God does not answer that God does answer prayers in, in this way, that faith in his benevolence is well placed. Nevertheless, prayer and other forms of worship are not bargaining chips mm-hmm. for his favour. Think of the difference between someone who is kind to you out of love and someone who is kind to you because you will give them something. Nothing in our hearts is hidden from God. The test comes when the request is not answered, when death and poverty and illness are, are unchecked by even the most sincere entreaties. What happens to our faith then? Do we offer the Lord heartfelt worship even as our hearts twist in agony? Thus there is a tremendous spiritual lesson offered to God's statement. We approach the Lord from the most humble position, as supplicants to His feet, understanding that even the goddess of fortune approaches Him in this way. All wealth, all honor, all fortunes are but His servants. When the Lord does not employ these servants as our own, can we continue to supplicate ourselves at His feet? Can we aspire to serve in the mood of the goddess of fortune, humble and unexpected, content with the opportunity to render the lowliest of service? For some, the answer is a definitive no. The image of the goddess bent over the feet of the master echoes the harsh dominion of men over women, often experienced in this world. These are not transcendent images, but examples of patriarchal hierarchy entrenched within religious systems, constructed by mortal men. Women serve, men enjoy. One more excuse for men to squash women into nothingness. One more excuse for women to reject religious discipline. How easy it could be to interpret Lakshmi's service in this way as nothing more than an example of a wife, of a wife's submission to a husband. The real significance of Lakshmi's dedicated service has little to do with the, the bodies we have assumed in this life. After all, in previous and future lives, we have inhabited various bodies, sometimes male, sometimes female. These are all temporary designations. In this spiritual sense, None of us are burdened by dominant or submissive roles except in relation to the Supreme Lord. Srila Prabhupada explains, The living beings are by constitution feminine in nature. The male, or enjoyer, is the Lord, and all manifestations of his different potencies are feminine by nature. The dominating role of men in this world, so often misunderstood as inherent superiority, indicates by a temporary relationship between embodied living and the Men, women, trees, and stones are all equally meant to serve God. Thus, Lakshmi's service need cause no resentment or pride for any of us because she is more than simply a role model for good wives. She performs the task most treasured by all realized souls, the gentle massaging of the Lord's of feet. Let us return to our fairy tale princess. She has toiled for her ungrateful masters without expecting the wondrous opulence that will someday be hers. And once she ascends to a position of wealth and authority, does she forget the pleasures of her simple service? Does she begin to believe that she has earned her brand new fortune? That uh, that she deserves it? And that it is hers? Can she remember a time when the fortune was not there? And contemplate the time she will leave it all behind? Fairy tales are supposed to have happy endings. And yet we might fast forward to the moment the princess faces death. Faces the loss of all she has come to love, and wonders if meeting the prince was such a boon after all. Wealth, beauty, fame, and all other opulences are wonderful things, but they are meant to be engaged, as is their mistress, Lakshmi Devi, in continual service of the Supreme Lord. Um, it points out that. We are after success, and opulence, and wealth, and and So many things to improve ourselves along the path, it's a real But at some point, uh, they must come to an end. And just as we might not have had them in the first place, we're not going to have them in the end. That's kind of what being said here. Um, it's also said that we come into the world naked, and we leave the world naked. So whatever we acquire in this life, is only as temporary as this life itself is. This is the mood or the the understanding of someone who is really intelligent or really detached, that whatever I own, whatever I have, is only here temporarily. And more importantly, or equally importantly anyway, is that everything that I possess isn't actually mine. It belongs to the Supreme Lord, my country, my community, my job, friends, my family, my own body, my own mind, ultimately, are owned by the Supreme Lord. Sometimes we think that being detached from material nature means that. It really doesn't matter what our place of living looks like, doesn't matter what we wear, doesn't matter what our cars look like. But actually, if we meditate on the fact that everything belongs to, to Krishna, to God, we're going to take care of all these things, of extra wealth we're going to need to be very careful about what our place of living looks like and how we dress and how we speak. Because everything belongs to God. So it has to be very carefully maintained. It should be better maintained than those who don't think God owns everything. Because if it's it's owned by the Supreme Lord and he's the supreme perfect master of everything, then everything should be just, everything that that he owns should be just paka, should be absolutely perfect. So Prabhupada talks about you know, how hearing with ears is very important. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but Sri Bhakti Prabhupada talked about two different classes of devotees. He talked about the hearing devotees and the dandava devotees. And I thought that was very interesting because the Dandava devotees are the people, implied here, that uh, follow all the rituals very meticulously. Maybe they're guilty of neo following following blindly. But they're, they're, they're very, they can be very submissive. They come down and they, they offer their prostrated dandabas. They lie flat before the deities and before the spiritual master and before the saintly person. And these are, are what he calls the dandabas devotees. People in sales have this term, the lay downs. The people that are very easy to sell things to because they don't have a mind of their own. So that's kind of interesting because the dandava is a sort of lying among devotees. So one may not be able to follow all those things. And in this age... It's not actually possible to follow on in this part of the world, but one can hear. And if one hears, um, that's very important. Prabhupada used to tell us that his Guru Maharaj is very uh, uh, enlightened by the fact that he used to hear. So he we just sit and listen. And we like it very, very much. So the hearing is very important. Of all the senses, it's really a key sense. That that it's Shravanam the first of the process of, of, of devotional service that one has to hear to gain knowledge. Um, someone told me about the people, the, the, the monks used to travel in China and uh, they used, to be, they used to have perfect martial arts. They were trained so that if they would hear something, even in their sleep, they would immediately awaken defend themselves. And uh, the story is that one of the martial arts teachers try right to uh, to bring a sword down upon a sleeping student. And just by hearing the, the swish of the, the sword through the air, he was able to awaken and move out of the way before the, the sword could reach him. So you know, that may be exaggerated and untrue, but the idea is that hearing is, is very, very important. Because without hearing, we, we can't learn anything. So that probably talks about hearing uh, with um, eagerness. You can't just hear mechanically, just like people turn on the radio. So they're walking around with their head Phones and I was listening to the radio. Um, the, the telephone reverend used to come to our lab and I had earphones to listen to his walk. And I was like, how can I go, fix things when she's listening to music all the time? But I she wasn't listening, not very closely anymore. Anyway. So there's different kinds of hearing. There's, there's that kind of mechanical hearing, there's sort of that what we call the elevator music, right? Background of music. It's just there because it has to be there when you're on pole. You we know, hate the music that they're putting on the telephone. It's not the kind of music, but you have to hear it, but you're not really listening. So there's different kinds of hearing, you know, just sort of things that are you know, kind of going in. It's a swish of traffic. we wish it wasn't there. The sound of the airplane like, well, you, you, you don't want to hear it, but it's in there. So the hear with the eagerness means that we're really not only hearing, but we're assimilating, and we're, we're remembering what we hear. Here, and Kirtham, we're not able to speak it, we're able to remember it. Shavanam, one of the processes is devotional service. So that hearing is, is is a way of acquiring intelligence. hearing what the spiritual master says, or what's being said here by Christians in the Bhagavatam, by, by the followers of the Lord and other devotees, that's very, very important. It becomes part of real knowledge, and the kind that we can detach ourselves from the eternal world It's knowledge that distinguishes between what's real and what's temporary. That's real knowledge. And that kind of uh, uh, eagerness is important. Without without enthusiasm, Udsahanish Kram to Larga States in it. third verse of the that you have to have this eagerness. It's the very first thing Even even in materialism, in material existence, there has to be enthusiasm. I and mean, these people like to get up at three or four in the morning to run companies. They're very enthusiastic. i am just forgetting this incredible speech by the president of Coca-Cola, the CEO of Coca-Cola Company. And it's interesting that of all the different cosmetics and soft drinks and so-called useless, quote-unquote products in the world, Coca-Cola was one of the few that Papa actually mentioned by name, Coca-Cola, and twice he mentioned it. Of course, you know, there's so many. And uh, from was having a lot of sugar in it and not being great tasty to everybody. It's, 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 it was the first truly global company in the world one of the most successful operations in the world so this this person extremely enthusiastic speech there wasn't one negative comment all the speech it's of a group of, of, of retailers in washington so sort of, uh, you know other CEOs and uh, but he had this, this enthusiasm and um, once not on one of the speeches he said that America has a lot of hair coca cola that's enthusiasm, <laughs> to say something like that in front of all kinds of people, you know, national whatever. So, enthusiasm is there, and it has to be there in spiritual life. I mean, we know that unless we're really eager to hear and eager to serve Krishna, then then nothing happens. So the eagerness has to be there. It can not be, uh, uh, become very, very mechanical. It, it can uh, be very mother madhara like it, it, it can deteriorate into something very uh, uninteresting. It can just be sort of like, you, know, you just do something because you do it every day or you, your parents do it. It's just the only thing you can do and it becomes sort of habit, but think thoughtless sort of habit, not, not really eager to assimilate philosophy. So Prabhupada talks about the miracles of meditating on the lotus feet of the Lord with eagerness and devotion are so great that no other process can compare it to them. And in other talks, Prabhupada said that Eagerness is the price that we pay for devotional service. It's so important that nothing else even really matters, or is incomparable to the eagerness that we have. So sometimes people may not know so many things about philosophy, but they're very eager to hear. They're very eager to serve. They're very eager to read in the association of the book. It's very eager to read. So, this, this eagerness is critical. It's very, very... And then, of course, that verse goes on to say, uh, it's a misunderstanding that we have to be very determined, and at the same time we have to be very patient. That's another form of, of eagerness, actually, because there's the, the mentality that I want something, and if I don't get it right away, I'm not interested anymore. I'll switch channels, or I'll move to a different website, or I'll just jettison the whole idea. It wasn't interesting. wasn't for me. That's kind of the sour grapes philosophy, right? With the jackal to reach the grapes, and can't get them. He says, "Oh, they were sour. Anyway, so I'm not going to I'm not try it." Anymore. That's how But according to the Kuvadei the, uh, shangri one has to try for something and be very determined to get it and be patient, even if it doesn't come immediately. And Prabhupada is a very good example of that. Sometimes people ask him, why did you wait so many years, 30 years, after you had the instruction going go preach in the West? Such a long time. And he said, well, I have to prepare. it's very good example. So, but he was determined to do it and it didn't matter if it took 30 years. And we don't care if it takes Centuries for people to become Christian conscious. For this, what we call sometimes the grounds for Christian consciousness, to change the world landscape. Because we're determined to do it. Because we know that the truth will come out. And even in in material life, that sometimes happens. Karl Marx was an outcast. He he was poverty stricken. He lived in a a hovel. He had a beard. He was filthy. And after maybe 30, 40, 50 years, Two or three hundred people were following his philosophy. The whole country was based on his philosophy. Nicolae and Kiliapha became popular. I mean, and Jesus Christ's philosophy wasn't accepted for hundreds of years, three or four hundred years. Nobody wanted to know. They were Christians. They were pagans. They were outcasts. They were not pagans, they were out of the, the Roman way of living. And then all of a sudden, about 400 A.D. it became the Holy Roman Empire, it became the Christian world. So it took a long time. But that's determination. It requires patience and enthusiasm. It was said that when Christians were sometimes thrown into the arenas in the Colosseum and literally fed the animals, lions, they were so enthusiastic about what they did they didn't care. I mean, some people say that but they were actually joyous in the face of death. Yeah, because they were so enthusiastic about what was going to happen in the future because they knew that the, the good news was going to come out and prevail in the world. So that's part of enthusiasm. And of course, that verse goes on to say, that the kind of the not one should follow, one should hear and chant regularly, one should serve the lotus feet, associate with the body. I um, try to give everything to the Lord. And one should follow in the footsteps, Associate with the boat try to to be in the presence of them. Um, Very, very important, like that's done with the box. So these these will help us in devotional service to be enthusiastic, to follow the footsteps of others, to follow the basic principles, to be enthusiastic, patient, very controlled, very determined, and to avoid bad association. If we hang out with people a lot, if we become intimate with those who who, uh, drink, who are very addicted to the opposite sex? Who are very addicted to any kind of prosperity, material enjoyment? Literally addicted or infatuated with such things. Then, obviously, we're going to become like that. We can't help it. So, to a certain extent, to spread Krishna consciousness, one has to associate. But intimacy should be saved for those who are on the same wavelength, who feel the same way we do, who get the same pleasure, who get the same enjoyment out of future. That kind of association, side is critical for success. So one can be very enthusiastic about serving the Lord's feet, hearing the names of Krishna, uh, looking at the different forms of Krishna, uh, hearing about Krishna's associates, uh, meditating on Krishna's name all very important. And ultimately, the the real miracle is to know that devotional service is the real secret of gaining knowledge. That if we want to be detached from nature, we have to engage ourselves in devotional service and make this a living philosophy, not just something that you read about in books, but something you actually live from moment to moment, day by day. Uh, and everything we think about, everything we do, that's the living philosophy of Krishna consciousness. So that's achieved by doing devotional service. There were times when people would quote and read and constantly uh, meditate on certain aspects of Vedic philosophy, but they wouldn't perform devotional service. And they were actually very inimical to devotional service. And there are still people like that so today. They, They're the they, they kind of, we might say, dandavat text. Right they, they might know so many things, they might follow so many rituals, but they don't actually engage in the essence of Vedic knowledge, and that's devotional service to the world, which is what ultimately Krishna was teaching us in the Bhagavad Gita. It's the ultimate teaching of the whole incident that took place surrounding Bhagavad Gita. So if you'll know me one more time, I want to one more offering. It just couldn't exist. But such a wonderful book as <clears throat> Prabhupada's offering. Dear Srila Prabhupada, please accept my humble obeisances all glory to your divine grace. I wonder where you are just now. Of course, wherever that may be, you are eternally engaged in the service of your dear most Lord Krishna. You may be residing with him in the spiritual realm or gone somewhere else in the material world to preach glory. In fact, as a pure devotee and eternal associate of the Lord, you can do both simultaneously. Just as many of your devotees, just as uh, many eternal associates of Lord Krishna appear in order to assist Lord Chaitanya in his pastimes, while simultaneously retaining their original identity, so it must be the same in your case. Your love for Krishna is so profound that you are always firmly and consciously situated in your eternal loving relationship with him, even while you are fully engaged in preaching in this material world. That is why you are able to penetrate so deeply and effectively into the hearts of so many illusion-conditioned souls who have long since forgotten their connection to Krishna and very expertly revive that connection like a veritable spiritual touchstone. In fact, you are still doing this on the planet today through your Islam movement with its devotees and temples all over the world as well as through your books. So even though you have physically left this earth planet to serve Krishna in other realms, you are still very much present here in so many ways. So even though you have physically left this earth plant to serve Krishna in other realms, you are still very much present here in so many ways. You live forever by your divine instructions, and your follower lives with you. We planted the seed of Krishna consciousness in so many hearts and so many places, and we are constantly witnessing how these seeds are fructifying and blossoming in the form of enthusiastic devotion by vibrant temples. Just now, I am at their ISKCON temple in Tirupati, Andhra Pradesh, South India. Early this morning, we joined thousands of pilgrims at the temple on the top of Tirumala Hill and had Darshan Abbalaji or Venkateswara. This reminded me that you also visited this place as the special guest of the government of Andhra Pradesh and had Darshan Abbalaji. You are very pleased to see that hundreds of thousands of pilgrims were visiting this holy place every day. At that time, you recommended to the Endowments Minister of Andhra Pradesh that the TTD, Tirupati Tirumala Devas to should work out a program to cooperate with ISKCON to spread the message of Lord Krishna for the benefit of all. Some years later, the TTD responded to your wish by donating a spacious piece of land at the foot of the Tirumala Hills in the town of Tirupati. Today, there is a thriving temple here with beautiful Radha Govinda deities. Every day, a dozen or so devotees go up to the top of the hill to distribute books at the temple of Balaji, and they report that your books are selling like hotcakes. Oh, another phrase that Prabhupada adopted and used constantly, selling like hotcakes, <coughs> From the ample proceeds of this book distribution, they are constructing a large temple for Radha Govinda, and the construction is already well underway. Over 30 devotees live in the ashram, and there is an expanding congregation of three devotees there is also a school with 100 children and a Gosala with 15 cows. It has been more than five years since I have been there, so it is very encouraging to see the progress that has been made in the interim. Book distribution, devotee-making and temple construction, etc. These were the preaching programs you established, and by faithfully following your instructions under the guidance of their senior authorities, the devotees here are making steady progress in fulfilling your vision for spreading Krishna consciousness. At the temple bookstall, I could see your books in many regional languages of India. Since this Iskon temple is also listed in the Tirupati tourist brochures, many visitors come here from all over India and take home your books in their regional language, and these books will no doubt also be read by many friends and family members. In this way, the preaching is expanding far and wide from this one temple. Your vision was to have hundreds and thousands of such temples throughout the world, in order to re-spiritualize the lives of the entire humanity. It is a great privilege to be able to assist you in this most important mission. And I pray that despite my innumerable faults and foolish mistakes, you will allow me to continue to serve your Islam movement, even though my contribution is most faltering and insignificant. The lily servant of the So, um if one is not here to ring the alarm bell, but uh, maybe you have some questions to come.
1: Hmm. When hmm. you say about miracles, you see that one doesn't understand. how is it how it about yeah, yeah, mystical, like is that dealing with that mysticism? Hmm. Mystical questions that yeah. askable
0: It's ununderstandable. So one perspective from almost any perspective how God creates the universe we can get a glimpse of how that happens and we kind of understand the ways or the forms that the Krishna assumes how he expands himself and he imparted knowledge to, to Brahma how to engineer, how to create the universe we don't know exactly what was imparted it, it's so vast and so detailed we, we can only just sort of imagine what it's like so to us that's a miracle he created a miracle God so there was life and there was life and Krishna created the world by this thought process and mystic yogis also like Ardha Ramun created an aerial yeah. mansion just, just by you. thought so how can we think that that's anything but a miracle that the incurable are cured sometimes we have to tolerate the intolerable to be Christian conscious. And we wonder how we're it. How's it possible? We don't know. It's mystical. It's miraculous. So that's what I meant. It's kind of maybe a bit of thing. but, but the miracles are things that we don't fully understand, like it's known. People have said that they've gone to the Lord's and they've gotten the miracles and We don't know how that happens. And medical doesn't know how it happens. But you can't deny that thousands of people have gone there and had it happen. Um Krishna is an historical figure. He was present, it's written down in books. He did miraculous, ununderstandable things. A superhuman task. So did Lord Shaitland. So those are the, the miracles that we're, we're interested in. We're trying to understand. We're trying to get a little bit more knowledge about it. And we know that when we're in our liberated state, we will understand so much more. But ultimately because Krishna is ununderstandable even to himself it's dead, Prabhupada has told us that there'll always be more, and there'll always be things that we don't fully understand. And that's the challenge of spiritual life, that we'll just keep going and going, and learning and learning until will never get into it. So miracles are good things actually. Not that we don't use our minds to try to understand things, but we also accept that there are some things that we don't understand, and yet they're real. Meaning that we should and we need to apply our minds to understand philosophical points, to understand the mechanics of creation. Because part of the miraculous and understandable knowledge is understandable knowledge. Like I use a computer. I'd be lost without it since. Now, I don't know how it works. I don't have a clue what the different systems are and you know how all the mechanisms or, or circuitry is working inside it. But I have to use my intelligence to understand some things, you know, in a very mathematical, scientific, rational way. the way it can operate. So when about referred to Christian consciousness science, he was shown that and the science of God is a science. There is there is a science to it. And we can understand with our with our philosophical, rational that's called the well that side of the brain, the logical side. The side. I know it's good in the what's right and what's left. And your Jan's not very logical. Um, we have to, to and, and, and as you said about Bhagavad idea, that Bhagavad idea is the perfect combination of philosophy and sentiment. You can't have sort of one without the other. If you, I mean if you just have the sentiment, it becomes all or knowledge that can be blind and you can be dissuaded from it by someone who's a little more astute. And if you just have the knowledge, but you don't have the bhakti, as we were saying before, or you don't have detachment, then that's also imperfect. So, the combination of two things. The entire brain can't cut half of it away because it's illogical, or too emotional, or whatever. So, probably like i this kind of idea. Yeah, this is a science. It's not just sound. You know, sometimes people, the yogis, are accused of just being a, you know, kind I'm of the, unreal. Like, know. So but Jiddu Krishnamurti, so he didn't even reveal his spirit. He was, he was uh, I think we he, he mentioned this he called the "crest jewel of arrogance" because he was so, he was so learned. knew everything. He could defeat anybody in logic, in argument. And he would, he would, ask questions and no one could answer. And then he would give the answer. Yes, this is the correct logical answer. Now, can anyone defeat me? So well, I'm going to defeat myself. And then he would lay out complete arguments against everything he said prove that he was wrong and then he would do it again because he was right so that's the kind of mental uh, exercises that are, are necessary to understand actually you can't just, just uh, you know, sort of take it all in without applying our minds to it so therefore instead of how to you we should question ask questions try to so find out how it makes sense because you know even in in science and mathematics, we have had faith. As soon as we see two plus two equals four, that's it. We don't say how. I mean, I took a course once it was to prove the number system really existed, or really valid. I mean, you know, that that's there. But without first believing that two plus two equals four, you can't do anything. And that so that's the kind of faith that comes into even science. And if, it, if the instructor says something, whether it's science, or mathematics, or, or biology. You just don't 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 worry about trying to prove it. We just write it down and say well, that's it. You know what what they said was it. You know, the book says That's right. So that's the kind of blindness you want to say, kind of faith you have that have. And it may not be true. And there's a lot of uh, people that say the uh, first people in this country were Merialis, or the first people in, in the United States were, uh, uh, were the proper, political correct name. Anyway, I used to call them Indians. Reddit. <laughs> what's the word? American. Native Americans. That's right. They're Native Americans. And reddit to the right terminology. Speaking to them. We don't care if people call us Christians or Hare Krishnas. I generally think they're kind of Christians. Afro-Americans. They used to be called Native Americans. They were called black. And now we have to call afro american because that's fucked up. Anyway, language changed. But anyway, my point was that it's kind of a given that a lot of people think that the so-called uh, Native Americans were the indigenous people. But many, many anthropologists disagree. They said there is hard proof that there were, were races here who were completely different from the Native Americans. And there's people that say that about the So There were people here way before that. Completely different, completely different world structures. I mean, they were, they, they look, they were the same, anatomically the same but the they, they were a completely different race. And the same with parts of Australia, and Russia, and Africa, and everywhere else. So, the scientific element is important. Yeah. I suppose, don't know about the One day say, Well, as I was saying, both things are actually necessary. In our Gaijur Mantra, we, we say that we offer relations of the word Krishna. So we, well, that's a mantra. The mantras are also, you might say, irrational. But they, they were also very scientific because they had to be used in, in the war, in the cruise of the water to activate the weapon, Mantras, they so we don't understand, you know, somehow the power of the mantra, like the power of Christian mantra the power of Gayatri mantra. They had great power. And it was, who was the karma who, who was cursed to forget <coughs> the, uh, before he shot the Brahmastra, the mantra, and therefore he couldn't shoot. He couldn't defend himself and he was killed. So one has to also apply one's intelligence. There was one devotee, he was going to he to be happy. You have to use your brain, and, and if you speculate like on "I'm in the taste of water, if you, if you think about that and meditate on that, that's, that's proper use of your brain. So, if, if we say we're just a, a dominovite devotee, I will say we're just a, a, a hearing devotee in question, then we're missing sort of the other half. So, Bakasanta like was decrying people who are just saying they're just one or the other. You have to be hearing, but you, have you have caring, which also you have to be willing to do things that you don't understand. And like that puts you on top. I don't want to tell you a lot about it. So I do it very carefully every day. make okay. sure.
1: Savior, our very life and soul. The beloved disciples of Srila Prabhupada from all over the world built this beautiful monument not simply to glorify Srila Prabhupada as a man, but to assist him in his mission because Śrīla Prabhupāda's person embodied the topmost spirit of surrender and compassion. He is the very personification of the mercy of Śrī Śrī Mūtā And as Śrīla Prabhupāda's life is understood by the world, Simultaneously, the essence of the teachings of Lord Chaitanya will also be understood. Shri Prabhupada lived to spread the Holy Name around, and in his samadhi, he presides to this day, and for many generations in the future, attracting People from all places to come to Sri to taste the sweetness of Krishna consciousness through the chanting of the Holy Names. Hundreds and hundreds of devotees here in his Krishna Samadhi has been energized by his divine grace. Srila Prabhupada truly lives forever through his mercy and through the inspiration he fills the hearts of his devotees with. We have just taken our sacred bath in the Holy River Ganga to purify ourselves. We are beginning our Dora Mandala Yatra in this place. We have especially come here to beg Srila Prabhupada for his blessings and permission We traveled to the many holy places of the lelos of Lord Chaitanya and his associates. We have especially come here to offer our gratitude to him for calling us here. In truth, we are all his invited guests.
0: He roamed the world
1: twelve times, inviting everyone to come to Maripur home. During the first door of festival, there was nothing but some construction site. Prabhupada was up in the middle of the night making sure each devotee had missed internets, very painstakingly making sure each devotee had proper massage. Everyone really felt that they were Prabhupada's personal invited guests. It is my hope and prayer that all of us during this Yatra, feel that we are our own personal invited guests. So now, remembering his mercy, which is the substance of our spiritual lives, taking vow to remain ever faithful and loyal to his devotional service, his Guru Mahārāj, let us offer our trustworthy obeisances to Śrīla Prabhupāda, and with His blessing, we will begin Pura Yatra. Śrīla Prabhupāda, please... Let us also meditate upon pleasing Srila Rabbi with all of our words, all of our actions, and all of our thoughts during the next ten days of pilgrimage in the spirit of the servant of the servant of the servant. Sankirtan procession to Lord Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's holy place of appearance, the Yoga which is the very center of the universe for our devotee worship. Let us dance and chant in a spirit of great devotion.